Jay Crawford, Adam the Bull, Garrett Bush, and so many big names, it would take me hours to say all of their names. The ultimate Cleveland sports show. Booyah! Oh, hey, oh, Friday, look who's uh, back. Look who done showed up, my goodness, man. This looks pretty good. How y'all doing? What's good? G, G Scotty's in the building. Hey, we in the building, <laughs> man. Listen, I, I appreciate y'all out there, man. I was I was watching y'all all them days, man. I feel like I've been gone for like seven weeks. When I was younger, I had chicken pox and was gone like for like two months, right? And I came back to school and they was like, Oh my God, what happened to you? Because I had all these scars on my face. Yeah. <laughs> they was like, did you get in the fire? No, I just had chicken pox. Leave me alone. Man, I, and shout out to you. I, I, I guess I should start by saying um, where I've been at for all these days. So no, I didn't quit the show. No, I didn't get fined. And, and no, they didn't put me on sanctions. No, shout out to everybody here. So I was out for a little bit. So I had two things going on. Um, one, the most important thing is I had a death in the family. Um, and uh, my brother-in-law, uh, who lives in the Philippines, he's the youngest brother uh, of my wife, uh, he unfortunately passed away. It was really tragic situations, and, and it's brought me to the point where um, I think I'm going to start really pondering and thinking about what we can do as far as one of the things that uh, really affects a lot of people, and it's mental health. Um, unfortunately uh, for my brother-in-law, he did commit suicide. Um, so that was a very tough thing for my family because, you know, when you're dealing with suicides, you tend to blame yourself a little bit. <clears throat> you tend to think, what could I have done more? Could I have been around? Could I have been more encouraging? Um, and it takes a lot of healing to get through that. So yeah. um, continue to pray for me and my family and my wife, of we'll course. Um, and so, you know, that's just something that we all got to watch out, to be our brother's keeper. That's everybody. If you see somebody being down, if you see somebody um, withdrawing, Make sure that you go out and you do your best you can to, to reach out to those individuals um, because you never know what they're going through. So um, that's something that I'm, I'm gonna, moving forward, going to be really paying attention to in my life because, you know, when you get impacted like something like this, it's just it's just a tremendous um, it's a tremendous hurdle to get over. It's tragic. Um, second of all, a, a little bit less. I had a kidney infection, man. I don't know what happened. They was trying to get rid of me this week. I don't know what happened. They was like, y'all, we're going to get G. Bush up out of here. I had a kidney infection and you know the crazy thing about kidneys infections and I've never thought about this until I got a little bit older is that you know how they tell you like when you get to 40 if you're 40 years or above it is time for you to get a prostate exam. Mm -hmm. So I went to the bathroom like the other day and I peed and it was like I was like hold on. Is this blood in here? I was like I was in there like no. <laughs> no. I went to the doctor. He was like, yeah, you just have, you got a kidney infection. I was uh, like, yes. <laughs> yes. I've like, never seen someone so happy to <laughs> just kidney have infection. a kidney infection. Hey, yo, I, look, bro, when you when you put yourself in a box, I, I listen, I had, because you know, you be thinking to yourself, man, I got stage three. Ain't nothing coming back from this. <laughs> ain't nothing. <laughs> stay, ain't nothing coming back from this. But, you know, my, my wife was like, she was like, usually you tell your wife you want to go to the doctor with you. She was like, do you want me to go to the doctor with you? I usually tell her no kick rocks. She was like, you want to go to the doctor with you? Yes! Why would you ask such a thing? This is important. She was like, 
I guess. Let me show up. <laughs> so yeah, that turned out okay. Got me some antibiotics, and now I'm on the men. So that's where G. Bush has been. Uh, McNuggets, I guess um, you've uh, had some issues. Yeah, well, first off, what up, Jason? What's up, Brad? What's yeah, up? yeah, how y'all doing? Show? Hey, boys, it was a G. Bush what's, monologue what's to start, up, Mike? but... That's how the show starts with the right monologue. Yeah, right, 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 hey, we know. love it. I, I got... Listen, you guys know me. We've known each other for almost a year now. I don't really get hot and bothered about a lot of things. Oh, uh, you don't. Two things happened yesterday about the same apartment complex uh -oh. that needs to be addressed. First and foremost, the apartment complex I live in has had three ownerships since I moved in in April. <laughs> Three different ones. So you know something's already screwed up. That's like the Cavs in the 80s. Yeah. Well, this new ownership is now charging a $50 processing fee to pay your rent online. What? Yeah. $50. It's not an ATM fee. My last one was $250. I'll pay $250 to pay with the credit card. But $50, get the you-know-what out of here. $50 is dinner, lunch, a date. And some gas. And some gas. Hell no. That's criminal. I'm paying in pennies. I, so so. They, they hit you up and was like, yo, you got to pay 50 bucks to just use their online portal. Yes. So I went in, I put my information in, and it was $50 more. I'm like, wait, they didn't raise rent. I got no notification about raising rent. So I called them. That's the processing said, hey, fee. What's going on? They go, oh, it's our, it's our processing fee. Mm -hmm. I said, why is it 2,000% more than the last one? They go, oh, well, it's, it's just how we do it. And I said, okay. So I'm paying in pennies. They're getting nickels and pennies, all whatever my rent is. They're getting in coins. Well, can't you and you know what? My processing fee is you got to count my money. You got to spend all your time all day counting my money. And then second off, real quick. Last night at 1.30 in the morning, the fire alarm went off in my apartment. Oh. Okay, whatever. It happens. False alarms, whatever. We all apartment. go downstairs. The issue at my apartment complex is the stairs. You can go down and get into any floor from the outside stairwell in but the stairs locked so people can't walk off the street and get up. So guess who didn't have a key to any of the stairwells at 1.30 in the morning when we found this is a false alarm? So all whatever 200, 300 amount of people Ooh. are in the lobby, no one get back up to their damn rooms because they have no keys to get through the stairwell. So guess who spent all night in the lobby last night? Oh. And guess who's still trying to charge me $50 for a processing no. fee? You was in the lobby? I spent, well, eventually at like 4 in the morning, two hours later, they found a guy who worked like the overall security manager who lived way outside downtown Cleveland to come in and unlock the stairwells. Well, we spent like three hours in a lobby last night. Oh, like 200 people in a lobby man. that probably seats that's 10 people. That's wicked. And now that's why they're getting my money in pennies and nickels and dimes. You down like, there. You are going to count every single cent that I owe you in this processing fee and rent for that inconvenience. And I just got an email, no joke, in the last 10 minutes. You want to hear their apology? I'm not going to call it the apartment complex, but here's legit their apology. Anthony. What time does email come in? 10.34. So it's in the last hour. Quote, I want to reach out and apologize for any inconvenience caused by last night's alarm. It was a false alarm. We are currently checking camera footage to see what caused this. We hope this does not happen again. In the future, we'll be better at communicating clearly in the situation. Best property manager. Insert name here. Screw y'all. I'm over it. Hey, wow. Mikey, you can't pay in a check. I mean, pay? I could, but that means I have to go get checks because that's something that people See, under the, the age of 50 don't use very thing, often. Right? See. Yeah. Yeah. Are you eligible for checks? <laughs> Are you eligible for that? How much do these checks cost? Do you have to have a background check for these checks? All these checks, bro, I'd have been Just living. get the checks. Yeah, just yeah, get I, the well, checks. Now, now I am. Listen, yeah. I'm going to get checks now, but just to, out of nowhere, be told, hey, it's a $50 processing fee to pay rent. Yeah. That's exactly what Brad's saying right there. That's some BS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's outrageous. That's some BS. Okay, I'm ready. You guys want to talk some football? Yeah, let's get to it. Let's get to it. Uh, I, obviously, you got this thing. What the Browns, right? 
Um, we're doing a confidence meter. We look at other teams that are in the playoffs right now. You take a look at the, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, who are obviously in our division. You take a, a look at the Kansas City Chiefs, um, who have been, I guess, what, the, what you know would say is the gold standard of what AFC football is about with Patrick Mahomes. And when you turn this around and look at it and compare it to the Cleveland Browns, fellas, um, how how close do you think the Browns are to being there? How close do you think in one year the Browns can can get to if, if you, everything goes right in this offseason? Um, and, and we'll only take your confidence meter on that. We'll start with you, Brad. Um, how close are they to those two teams, and can they get there quickly? Well, if you ask me what my confidence meter number is, it's a five, right? It's a freaking five, right? Why? Because you don't go from zero to 100, right? There's a process here, right? And it's just not the players. It has to be met on the other side by the management organization, the coaching. Everything has to align for the ship to go down the right way. I have not seen that out of the Browns in totality. I've seen bits and pieces and parts. So yeah, I could go out here and shop and get some good groceries. Well then, who's going who's going to put the groceries out and, and, and cut it up to make it a meal? And then once they make it a meal, who's going to make sure it's served on time? Those mm. are the pieces and parts. So some of it are pl players that need to be filled. Some of the up coaching that has to occur. And the other thing is, what is the management going to do to ensure that we create the runway for this ship to take off. I haven't seen that as of yet. So you come in at a solid five. Solid. So, solid five. And and it well, let me ask you this a little bit before we get to Jason. Is there anything that they can do in the off this offseason to raise that for you? And oh. any specific moves? Is there anything they can do to even raise that or lower it? Yeah. You you if you want me to know, I would prefer the head coach to be the head coach. I prefer to see an OC that's a real OC, right? And then I start delegating responsibilities here with people who are qualified to do the job. Then the other thing is, don't sit out here with needs you need to have filled and act like you don't see them. Because mm. now you you playing me for a fool is what you're doing, right? Because I see them. I'm not even a football guy. I see them. So you have to see them. So if you want to be real, you see the great teams that really win in any league, they just win, baby. Whatever it takes. Al Davis, just win, baby. If I got a hole, I'm gonna go fill it. I'll try here. I'm gonna try to fill it. I'm not gonna say, well, I got these guys over here. I got them for two dollars <laughs> over here. And I'm gonna play the two dollar card here. I'm gonna see if the two dollar, if I got the two dollar buy that was really a thousand dollar buy. Two dollar so, scratch off. <laughs> they got the scratch off. I'll be feeling like them scratch offs. Over. I'll be feeling like you got them spending ten or more for you to even hit something. The two dollar ones, I feel like they put no codes in there for you to win. <laughs> Jason. Uh, what do you think of, uh, in terms of when you watch the, the Bills and you watch the Cincinnati Bengals? How far away are the Cleveland Browns? And what is your confidence meter that they can either close that gap between now and whenever they play next year? I put them at a solid 4.5. Wow. Four and a half. And it, it'll be a lot easier to have this conversation a month from two months from now when we get into free agency a little bit, when we see what they're doing. We know, we know what the needs are. They need a receiver. They need two defensive tackles. They need a defensive end. Got to have that. Linebackers are also on the list, but you've got to fix. I've said it all year. Fix the defensive tackles. You're going to fix this issue. So let's see what they do. Let's see if they fix it. And then my meter will probably go up a little bit. Here's what I like. They're 3-3 three and three in the division last three years. To me, this is the best division of football. The AFC North, I understand the East sent, I think, three teams in the playoffs. AFC North, though, 
pound for pound is the best division of football. Now you, when you throw, I mean, Baltimore and Pittsburgh have been the two steadfast heavyweights. They're always there. They're the best run teams, two of the best run teams in the league. Now you give Joe Burrow to Cincinnati and you put them in the mix. But if you can hold your own in that division, there's no reason that you can't hold your own in the conference. Right. The problem that I have is you have to beat Cincinnati, Kansas City, or Buffalo. More than likely, you may get a weird schedule break where they play each other and you can slide in. But more than likely, you're going to have to beat one of those teams to get the AFC title game. And right now, as we sit here today, I have a four and a half confidence meter that they can beat one of those teams. But let's wait and see how the rest, how the draft unfolds. Let's see how free agency shakes out. I want to see what other coaching moves are made. The staff is, this is not the staff, the Brown staff that they're going to take into the season. I do think Jim Schwartz is going to make changes defensively. Chad O'Shea, the receivers coach, has had multiple interviews for the OC job for OC jobs. Drew Petzing, the quarterback's coach, could leave for, like, and that's one thing that we really haven't discussed. Everyone is talking about how bad everything is and, and how bad the defense is. Well, when's the last time, how often does it happen that Brown's assistant coaches get interviews for job promotions? And the fact that Chad O'Shea keeps coming up in, in names, and O'Shea's kind of been a name in league circles for a couple of years, and now he's, like, progressed to the point where now he's getting interviews uh, like I said, Drew Petzing, I think, is another one that's going to be getting interviews here. Uh, Alex Van Pelt, I, I think – I'm sure he would like the opportunity to go somewhere where he can call plays. But for the time being, like, he's a respected offensive coordinator in this spot. Mm-hmm. So the offensive side, Bill Callahan's widely respected as the best line coach in the league. So the offensive side of their coaching staff is in really good shape. Uh, and that's just something that we really don't talk about very often. But overall – I'd put them at four and a half, and now let's wait and see what they do in free agency. We're going to do this again after free agency, by the way, and compare and contrast where we were now to where we are and see if they've lived up to the expectations we have for them this offseason. So, gee, you're up next. Man, this was tough for me because I, I, I had it starting off lower than you guys. <laughs> I, had it all, I had it starting at a four. I think I settled somewhere at five um, when I look at that. And, and when I have them at a five, it's because – there's a few things. When I watch these other teams, right? I watch the Bengals. I watch the Bills. I even watch the Jaguars. Like, I watch a lot of these other teams that have have figured it out. So, it looks like the Jaguars are a better team. It looks like a team like the Titans, who usually doesn't have a chance to win a championship, they're always in the playoff mix. The Steelers will be one year better. So, I look at the totality of it, and I look and say, man, these, these teams are awesome. These teams are getting better. These teams have quarterbacks. These teams look like in one or two years, they figured it out. But the problem is, I don't know, as Brad said, I don't know if, if they got the, the guys that can be able to flip it in a year. Because you might be able to get some receivers. And I've said this all along. When you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, it took, it took somebody to say, um, we're not going to take Panay Sewell. Even though he was a guy on the board, a left tackle, he's playing decent for the Detroit Lions. They said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go get us Joe Burrow. We already got him. We're going to get Jamar Chase, even though we had T. Higgins. Mm-hmm. And so some teams seem – that's the bonus play, right? If you already stacked here, you already good at a position, let's be great and dominant at that position. And I think that's what the Bengals have done a, a little bit in terms of getting uh, Jamar Chase and those guys uh, up, to, up to speed and running. But I will get a Browns credit for this. If they did it in a year, it, it, it proves it can be done. No, no, I, I don't disagree that it can't can, can be done. It is. Do you have a wherewithal to do it? Do you, do you know how to do it? Right? Yeah, because if you know how to do it, you start making the moves necessary. 
you don't start making people into more than they are, right? I, th I felt like this season, they had some glaring weaknesses and holes that need to be filled. And mm -hmm. they kept trying to fill them with people who were inferior to filling them, right? That's the $2 scratch off. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it didn't work really well with the scratch off. Mm -mm. Um, I will say this, though. Um, I've been thinking and pondering over this. You know, Jason, you talked about the defensive tackles. I believe they do need defensive tackles. But I don't know if they could do it all in a year. I don't know. I don't know the, the amount of holes that they have at defensive line, the amount of holes they have, even at linebacker. We even talked about them. Mm -hmm. um, oh, we talked about them yesterday. <laughs> the backers is, is in trouble. I'm thinking to myself, what is the best way? I ask you guys, what's the best way that I could change that? Can I change that that uh, optimism from a five to anything higher? I believe if they can get a household bona fide number one receiver, I will feel wholeheartedly different. And the reason I say that about a receiver rather than a defensive tackle is because what I'm going to ask Jim Schwartz to do is I need you to I need you to win me a couple games. Mm -hmm. I need you as a coach to coach some people up mm -hmm. that ain't really that good. And I need you to get them to average, right? Mm -hmm. I, I need you to get to a point where we can you go go identify me a guy in free agency, Jason. Go get me one that you say this dude didn't play that well in this system. But in my system, I think I could get him play up to that. And if you can get a, a receiver, I think the reason I say receiver is the Browns have that's the most impact that they can have on the field. Right. I feel like Jim Schwartz can get you there, but a bona fide receiver with Amari Cooper as well as DPJ and a, and a, and a solid, healthy, ready to go Deshaun Watson, I think that's the biggest splash they can make in the offseason. I don't know where they get it, but Andrew Barry got to figure something out. Well, I, I, I say this. Um, if you talk about D-line, and I think Jason, you and I were talking about it yesterday, you know, they don't have like unlimited money. No. So you got to be strategic in what you're doing. Now, I'm not taking a flyer on it. Somebody's going to be proven good. You might be a little long in the tooth, but you're going to be proven good. So Jason, I talked about Okunjobi yesterday, right? Uh, he's a free agent. I'd take Larry Okunjobi back in a second. Take him in a heartbeat. At least I know I'd have a comp competent, capable guy up front. Mm -hmm. Now I can mirror him with another guy that I could take a flyer on, right? Mm -hmm. Or coach up one of these other ones that you seem to have think have something, but I at least have somebody in the trench. That's okay, right? That now allows me to say, okay, let me turn my 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 uh, search to these linebackers because that's got to be filled. I think I can get the, the receiver a variety of ways. Somebody got cast off from the league. If I'm in the weeds scouting in college, there are more capable receivers coming out of college nowadays from places that you never heard of mm -hmm. that are capable, but you'd have to have your, your people in the weeds knowing where they are. So there's a there's a pathway for it, but somebody has to be the orchestrator of saying this has to happen. Now you got the GM Barry, right? Who's sitting out here doing this, but I always feel like the coach has to have an imprint on this thing. Like I need this, this and this, right? Because he's the one on the field on the floor. It's not always the person in the booth up top. So you got to figure it. We have to figure this out and if, unless you show me that my confidence Jason, let me drill down on this. When I mean, you just just take a look at the Bengals, you take a look at the Bills. So those are two teams left, right? Not the Bengals, Bills, but the Chiefs. Chiefs. But I put those guys in a three threesome, right? You got the Bills, you got the Bengals, you got the Chiefs. When you look at those rosters, top to bottom, or or just the coaching organization, 
What makes those three teams specifically better than the Browns? Quarterback, period. Now, can Deshaun get to that class? Yeah. But, I mean, the quarterback's a great separator for all. Look, I mean, we talk about weapons for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey is one of one. But they traded their best receiver, and they didn't. They never missed a step. They're mm-hmm. right back where they were. And that's because their quarterback is so special. Like, that's why – that's another reason why I put Mahomes in his own class. There is no 1A. It's just him. And then everyone else is fighting for, for second. Uh, and, and then when you flip that to the Browns, you know, when we're talking receiver – the, the, the highest receiver the Browns have drafted, uh, Michael Sh- or Anthony Schwartz in the third round and David Bell in the third round. Like, this is, this is why I said yesterday, I think this is the year they take a, a receiver in the second round because you can have impact receivers you can find in the second round who can step on the field immediately. The first round has become flooded with defensive tackles, defensive ends. By the time you get down to the second round, guys, you'll get an impact guy. But it also takes longer for them to get on the field. It takes longer for defensive ends to, to develop. Yes. It takes longer for tackles really to develop. So if you're, if you're taking a position that you already know takes a little bit longer and you're taking, say, the 15th guy yep. in the draft as opposed to a receiver who maybe is the sixth receiver, seventh receiver off the board at a high-impact position, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Go the free agency route to fill your defensive line needs. Use your second-round pick on a wide receiver who can make splash plays, who can get on the field, snap one, who you know is a weapon for Deshaun. Because uh, I agree with you guys. I do think they need another weapon at receiver. It's just making the jigsaw puzzle fit. To me, the second-round pick makes the most sense. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. When you look at the way people build the <coughs> roster, you don't have time to be waiting on Mm-mm. on defensive tackles and, and these dudes. You don't have the time to be waiting on your third round picks from a couple years ago and the Elliots and and even though I, I do do like some of your your picks that you Alex Wright, I like some of those guys, but you got to look at the transition from defensive tackle to to league. I mean that is a hard position to play, especially when you're inside. Plus you got to think about it like this: even if you drafted a defensive tackle, are they going to be a D tackle that plays on nickel? Are they going to be a t- defensive tackle that plays on on third downs? So you might that might only be a two guy two two down player for you for the first couple of years. So then you look at it. Okay, well injuries. Those guys in the middle get injured all the time. Um, you know, how are you going to bank your season on saying that I'm going to draft a defensive tackle? And he ended up being an All Pro like he get ten sacks. No, it's much more better equipped to go into the draft and say, okay, this guy's been playing five wide his whole life. He's been a receiver. He's done his thing. And now we can go out and get them and plug them in and get something going. I, I just thought of this. I had never thought of this before. But when we look at the premium positions in the NFL, do you guys consider defensive tackle like a premium position? Just yes, yes That's or a no. Good premium? No. That's a good, I, no. It's a luxury to and me, for me. If you've got a great luxury pick at D tackle, if you get one, great. But a premium, no. Because you usually think quarterback – Left tackle, defensive, defensive end. end. Usually right. three premiums. And I, this literally just hit me as you are saying, G. Look at the four teams still playing in the playoffs right now. Three of the four have elite defensive tackle play. You got Chris Jones in Kansas City, first team all pro, 15 and a half sacks, one of the three finalists for defensive player of the year. San Francisco, you have uh, Eric Armstead and the guy from South Carolina they drafted in the first round, uh, Kinlaw, Javon Kinlaw, two high first-round picks in the last five years. And then in Philadelphia, they have Fletcher Cox and Jalen Hargraves. Cox is a two-time All-Pro. Hargraves uh, is going to be a free agent, had 10 sacks this year. And then Kansas, uh, not Kansas City, Cincinnati, D 
DJ Reader. So really, a four, all four teams have elite defensive tackles. And I never looked at that as a commonality between them. Quarterback, I mean, Brock Purdy's the outlier with the other three. But maybe defensive tackle is a premium position <clears throat> that we haven't been giving enough attention to, not just in Cleveland, but overall in the NFL scale. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's, you know, when you title it premium, it's an integral part of a successful team, right? right. you got to have these core pieces to do what you need. It's just like if you was in basketball, a core piece of any basketball team is going to be the, the small forward. Yeah, that's key. It's like the point guard. It's key. When you don't have it, you will see what you're missing, right? And we've got to, you can't fill it with 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 mediocre mediocrity. You have to fill it with people that can have a skill set to get it done. Now, I and to Mike's point, I think that some teams are not realizing I'm gonna pay a little more to get this off because it just solidifies it. it if, if I'm in San Francisco, it, it unleashes Bosa on the end, right? Yeah. It, it allows them to act crazy out here and get after people, right? If you don't have it, you, you see what happens. Go ahead, Jason. It's 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 sort of like. In baseball and football, both, you can't be strong defensively unless you're strong up the middle. Right. Like you talk about it in baseball all the time. Catcher, second base, shortstop, center field. You have to be strong up the middle. Look where the Guardians are. They're terrific defensively right up the middle. Gold Glovers everywhere right up the middle. Football's the same way. Strong at the tackles, strong at middle linebacker, strong at safety. Mm. Now, would you consider those premium positions in either sport? I've never really looked at them that way, um, but – you, you make a, you, I, I guess I would say it like this. You can't be strong defensively if you're weak up the middle, like period. So I, I still think edge rusher is more important than defensive yeah. tackle, but that's not to take away of the importance of, of the tackle. Yeah, but the spot. edge rusher can't get loose here. And I don't, it's not the word premium. You have to know what you, what you value, what the value of yeah. each piece is. There's a value in a D line. You have to recognize what that value is, and if you recognize it as valuable, here's the, it's a different it's a different mindset. I'm a, I'm a person, and I'm 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 a firm believer in this now. I like stackable pieces, right? Because I feel like yeah, you can have a one off on your end, right? And and I think if we took this this uh, approach when we had Miles Garrett. See, the Browns could have had one of the deep. The reason the San Francisco 49ers to me are so good is they had Armstead. They even had DeForest Buckner mm-hmm. at one point in time. And when they got rid of Buckner, <laughs> they drafted Kinlaw with the 13th overall right. pick. And then you got you got all of these dudes and Eric Armstead. Then you got Kinlaw. Do you got now? What you can say is I can use my defensive line to control the game. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, when the when the uh, when when they had the uh, Legion of Boom. Seattle did it around their secondary. They know they noticed that they had all the prerequisites. They had long corners, tall guys, guys that could come up and hit. And Earl Thomas Roman, they couldn't do nothing with him. You could go back to Denver. Remember, Denver had a keep to lead. All those uh, Bradley Roby, mm-hmm. they was sh- they was shutting people down. They was one of the teams that was actually going out here playing nickel every play. When you do have one of those groups that is really actually great, that's a fine. Is that the bill collectors? <laughs> they probably telling me I need some money. Uh, 1-800-LOANS. I don't need a loan no more. <laughs> i tell you what, but when, when you get to it, um, I just think that if you stack some things up, you could have in a situation where you can really use that to your advantage. Yeah. And I think the Browns have an opportunity to do that. They did that with offensive line when they were healthy. I think they, the best chance for them to do that 
is at the receiver position. Um, but I wouldn't mind going out and get a couple more pieces at defensive tackle if you could get them in one year rentals. Well, the other thing it reminds me of this, Jason is this. It requires a level a level of being of, of shrewdness with the the people who are organized and putting the team together. So how shrewd do you think the, the, the Browns are when it comes to the rest of it being compared to the rest of the NFL, people that are making, making things happen? Well, I think they're really good at identifying defensive backs, like yeah. nail the Martin Emerson. Um, John Johnson, free agent signing. I, I don't know if that was really yeah, a hit. It's, that's a medium sign. I, I don't know how to feel about Johnson. I don't know whether or not he's going to be. Is he a guy that was just used out of position or a guy that could be something in somebody else's plan? The, the longer we get into the offseason, the more I think he's not going to be back. I, I'm, I'm really starting to feel. I thought at the end of the season, I thought it was kind of a done deal. He'd be back. I don't know. I'm starting to get a weird vibe that he he may not be back so that may be another spot that you have to fill but they drafted Greg Newsom they drafted Martin Emerson like okay they nailed their defensive back picks they've been terrible at drafting defensive tackles we've talked about it at length haven't been great at receiver DPJ was a great find in the sixth round David Bell's an incomplete didn't wasn't on the field very much didn't feel like didn't have a great year and Anthony Schwartz probably is not going to be back so you know I mean Jed Wills at left tackle you think they're gonna move on from Schwartz yeah Really, Anthony Schwartz? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't. I didn't know that. Yeah. I would from from what I've seen so far, uh, they're not really into getting rid of their guys. I have. He's a third round pick, right? Yeah. G. Bush, mm-hmm. this is his last year. If Andrew Barry doesn't turn this around, he's gone. So there's no no time to wait and hold on to your guys if they're not producing. Hey, I, I listen. I'm not. I'm, I, it ain't like I'm sitting here just waving a flag for him. I, but I, I think Amari's back. DPJ's back. Michael Woods is back. Like these guys are all coming Bell, back. Bell's coming back, yeah. but if you, I think we're all in agreement that they need another playmaker there. Yeah. Well, one's got to go. That to me, that's the most obvious one. I, I don't think he's back next year. No. Yeah, if they, especially I, if they, go out they bring him somebody. to camp. You know, they'll bring him to camp. But if he has the same problems that he's I'm shown to this point, he should be looking for an exit strategy. <laughs> well, I don't disagree, but I do think they, they. I mean, what's the harm in bringing him to camp? Bring him to camp, and then. Have you have you guys already decided y'all didn't want DeAndre Hopkins? I'm oh, sure. no, no, no. I didn't decide it. I didn't decide it. I mean, he's the elephant in the room um, because that piece right there, I know he's not a burner, but given what they got from Amari Cooper, right? And he showed out for what, fifth or sixth they got it for. If you could get DeAndre Hopkins, and I'm not sure if this is going to cost him, but if you could get him for, say, a fourth round pick, are you willing to move on that? Sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I. One of the best trades Andrew Berry has made since he's been here is the Amari Cooper deal. He got ahead of the market last year mm-hmm. and and stole Cooper from the Cowboys. You think you think the Cowboys could have used Amari Cooper last week? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. so it, I mean, yeah, if, if you can, I have no idea. Jerry wouldn't say so, but. The, the receiver market <laughs> exploded after that Cooper deal. Yes. Yeah. And the prices just got off the charts. Now, is there a, is there an economical deal to be made now before the market really sets? I don't know, but they do have, I think, some extra picks in those mid rounds to if something could be done. They do have extra cash flow, I guess, to get it done. So I'd take it in a heartbeat. If you can get the, you can get that dude. You said it before. If Deshaun walks in and says, go get me hop, you go get him hop. Like, it's, it's who he wants at this point. I think people don't make a, enough of that. Um, Jason, I, f- I feel like if Deshaun, Deshaun Watson did get to 230, and I think last year he was just trying to play the corporate role. But I think this year, 
it's pretty much whatever he wants. I think and we'll probably talk about this as offseason goes and that even includes changes to the offense. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he'll have full reign on Hey, who do I want? Who's what personnel groupings? This is what I'm comfortable with. And I think he'll have a lot to say with who they go out and get. 100%. Yes. And he should. It's what you signed what up you gave for. the money for. Uh, well, that's what they gave uh, McNuggets the money for because he tell us to keep him, keep it pushing. And we got a, a guest in the building, right? We do. G. Bush, it's your man. I'm Shannon man. A. Holmes, a sports attorney extraordinaire. What's up, Shannon? Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, so, you know, it's so crazy a after, you know, we had the viral moment on um, on De uh, DeMar Hamlin. Um, I was all over the place. I was getting a lot of different um, interview requests and and I just so happened to be on um, on a podcast with uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson and uh, Shannon was actually one of my counterparts that was on a, on a panel and he just so happens to run a, a firm in college or, or, or run a firm in Chicago, I believe, correct? Um, and he is in charge Texas, of the, you know, was that? In Dallas. At Dallas, okay. And he runs a firm that helps kids with NIL, and he specifically has so much to say that I, I just I, I just couldn't believe he was already doing some of these things in terms of being an advocate for people during NIL, and also talking and working with other professional athletes um, in, in terms of what can, they can do for insurance, what they can do as far as legal terms to, to get certain um, things done uh, that the league is not, not stepping up for. And I just think he's a, he's a tremendous resource to the conversation we're having. So I reached out to him. Um, you've, you've got a bunch of books out there, a bunch of number one sellers. Um, so Shannon, tell us how you kind of got in, in, you know, invited on that podcast and some of the things that you and your firm are already doing, working with younger uh, athletes to kind of protect their image and to project and get those guys where they need to go. Well, first of all, Gary, thanks, man. You know, it's definitely a privilege when I was able to team up with you a few weeks ago on, on, on the podcast, Reverend Jackson and his daughter, Santita. Um, you know, I was like, Mom, I made it. I'm, I'm on with Gary Bush. I, I'm Stop here it. now. Right. Stop it. <laughs> so, so you know, man, this, this, this is just something I, you know, I, I interned for a sports agent in college, and uh, you know, I'm from Beaumont, Texas, man. You know, we're formerly known as the pro football capital of the world back in the '70s. So a lot of guys, you know, that you know, older guys, all the way back in the '70s, and you know, it's kind of my peers made it to the NFL. So I've really just been a part of, you know, understanding that business, that whole thing. And then, you know, I had a colleague from the National Bar Association, C.K. Hoffler, an outstanding attorney down in Atlanta, trial attorney. She has two boys that are playing Division I football now. And so she heard me speaking at one of our conventions on NIL. So she reached out and had me on a couple of shows and talking about this and just really trying to educate the audience on what NIL is all about and some of the things that sports guys, athletes go through. And uh, a lot of times, you know, the consumer just doesn't realize, you know, they hear about the contracts, but they don't realize what goes into that and how that looks. So that's kind of how this thing kind of evolved. Man. You know, Shannon, I talked to, you know, Brad Sellers. Obviously, he's one of the OGs on the panel. His daughter right now is playing major college basketball at the University of Maryland, has another daughter playing college basketball as well at the same time. And we talk about it all the time with NIL and how it works is, you know, there's a lot of people out there that can sell you dreams. There's a lot of people out there that tell you, hey, come on over here. Let's go get you. We'll give you three million, two million here, there. But they don't realize that those those people are backing out of these deals. Some of them don't have any paperwork. You don't have any guarantees. So what does it look like from your level 
where you got kids that are going to different places and expecting a certain outcome, but yet and still they're not getting it with NIL. And how, how are you guys helping kind of uh, protect those parents and those families from that? No, great question. Great point, man. And uh, hats off to Brad and his daughter, man. Um, but, you know, the thing is, what well, we're trying to educate folks on, hey, get, get an attorney on your side. You know, when you look at this thing, Garrett, the schools have attorneys representing them. All the corporate sponsors have attorneys representing them. And what we found was that there's no attorney representing the kids and the family. And let's just be quite transparent here. A lot of the kids are coming from backgrounds and environments where they just they've never dealt with attorneys other than for family members who are usually in some criminal situation. And so even I can tell you, as an African-American attorney, typically when I tell people I'm a lawyer, they say, oh, I hope I never need you. I'm like, wait, what about if you have a great business idea or you're running the company? And they say, oh, I never thought about that. So unfortunately, that's kind of the, the, the piece that, you know, that's missing. So what we're trying to do and what we talk about and what we look at in the paperwork is what are you agreeing to? How long are you agreeing? And what are you giving up for that? You know, what we don't want to see is a young athlete give away his or her rights into perpetuity on a deal where they're endorsing the local grocery store chain. Then they look up three, four, five years later, they're playing in the NFL, NBA, WNBA, et cetera, and they go to do another deal with the grocery store chain, and they learn that, the, hey, they've given away their rights into perpetuity to this other you know, local grocery store chain back in Nebraska someplace, right? So, so those are the type of things we're trying to make sure. I'm sure you guys heard about the recent deal where I think it's down in Florida where the kid was promised I think I've heard anywhere from nine to 13 million, and that doesn't seem to be happening now. And they're considering some legal action uh, because they weren't able to come through and, and ratify that deal. So, um, so those are the kind of things, just basic contract deal terms that we want to make sure that the kids and their families understand what you're signing, why you're signing, and what that's going to look like going forward. So, Shannon, this is this is Brad Sellers here. So, let me let me just. Ask this because you know the I, I'm in the I've been in the game I understand how the game work right, but the, the here I'm a parent of one hell I don't understand the nil like that right, like I understand right. representation I understand cutting the deal, cool. the problem is the kids right. are off here at the school the school is in the, Maryland is better right but there's some schools out here they're not telling these kids a thing about what what to do what the roles are what the what they should be looking for there's nobody representing the kid. And the kid at 18, 19 has no idea. They see a sum of money that is out here in theory. Somebody's got to bring that deal mm -hmm. in, right? So what should a student athlete out here be? I don't care if you're mid-major, whatever. What, what, should, what, that what should that student athlete be looking for? What should that student athlete's family be looking for? Because you not, might not get it from the school. Right. No, great point, Brad. And, and that's what I was saying. We've got to encourage and we've got to get the message across. They've got to get counsel, legal counsel involved. You know, it's kind of like if you're being interrogated by the police, you say, hey, stop, wait, I want to get my lawyer. And then we've got to, put, you know, make it a, find a way to get them attorneys involved. The schools have got to make sure that they do the ethically correct thing and make sure that there's someone representing that athlete at the table because the schools have said, look, we can't work with you. We can't represent you on these deals. You know, we need to know what deals you're doing, but we really can't be a part of that. Um, and so we need to get the message across. Um, and there are more and more attorneys starting to get involved. Unfortunately, there's no real database now, Brad, where we can just point to and say, hey, go right. here and get some help. But but we're just trying. And, and again, thanks to Garrett and you guys for having me on, just trying to get this message across. Uh, look, you got to stop, take a second and try to get someone involved that can help you, you differentiate what you're doing on these deals.
But you make a great point, Brad. Excellent point. Shannon, what do you think NIL is going to look like 10 years from now? Because I'm all for, I covered college football for almost 15 years. I'm all for this and athletes getting paid. But this feels like the wild, wild west in the early days of the internet when there was no structure and no, it's just, it's a, it feels like a free for all right now. Do you like it that way? Do you feel like we have to have some, some bumpers on this thing or some parameters to it? Or what do you think it, it's like now? And where do you think we'll be with this five to 10 years from now? No, another good question that continues to come up. I, I think it's evolving. I think it's going to continue to evolve. I think the market is going to correct in some way um, from the corporate side. I think corporate dollars are going to say, wait a second, you know, when we look at the, our measurables, we're not getting the biggest bang for our buck in this in this process. Yeah. I think I think what we see now, guys, is that really where the, the thing is, what they were trying to guard against, which they can't really guard against now, are these collectives, which are really just, mm-hmm. you know, the, the alum of a particular school pooling money together and saying, hey, you know, we're not a part of the school. We're this collective group, and we're going to pay this guy or this guy. Or, you know, in some instances, hey, if you're in the offensive line room or you play linebacker, you're in that room, you're entitled to $50,000 guaranteed, you know. Um, so that's the piece I think that that some knew could happen, but they didn't see it happening like this. Um, I think everyone imagined this thing just being where, you know, the local car dealership, the local grocery store, and other businesses would be involved. We thought that kids would make money through their social, social media uh, outlets. Uh, but then here comes these collectives, which really has put a spin on this thing that I think it's, you know, it's going to be hard to really control that piece. You know, Shannon, I, you you said something just a minute ago, and I I asked these people, you know, on our panel, we talked about it all the time. I'm trying to figure out what the return on investment is, right? Like, say for instance, I, I'm you know sponsoring a, a guy like C.J. Stroud or something. I'm sponsoring those individuals, and I'm saying I'm gonna I'm gonna give him an IL deal for two million dollars. How are they recouping that money? Because I don't see C.J. Stroud doing videos. He's really not doing like, you know, product placement or anything. And, and I don't really see him outside of football doing. How is it that these the, they're coming up with this number that says this equates to this? I, I'm kind of confused on how they're going back to recoup these dollars and, and, and turning in, uh, an investment from this. No, that, that's exactly it. So I think that numbers, I think that piece of the puzzle is still out there. I don't think there's enough measurables yet to really determine that. So what they're basing it on, you guys have probably seen it on, on a number of different places. They'll say, well, this person's NIL value is X. Right. You know, you're starting to see that pop up in different forums. Well, that's really, I think, based on on your impressions on social media. So that's Twitter, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. How many followers do you have? And then there's some formulas that the companies are using to say, hey, based on these followers, these amount of views, you have this amount of reach. And that's what their goal is, because that's really the medium that most of these these companies are, are counting on for these athletes to advertise and uh, demonstrate the products that they're that they're attached to. But Shannon, the problem is this here. <laughs> this is this is the problem. The kids have no guidance, right? There's nobody looking out for the right. kid. You're in direct competition right. with the school because the school is sourcing out these same corporate clients for their own money, right? So the school don't really want you to cut into that money, right? So they're sprinkling you some chips here and there, so you get a little T-shirt deal and this is keep a little money in your pocket. Why they getting peeled off on the side? There's no real representation because if I had real representation, we would define the terms of the contract. I'm going to give you this for this, 
There's nobody sitting there, and the, the, the 20 to 19 year old kid, I'm looking at Cheyenne's own NIL deal. She come on, Dad, Dad I got this t shirt deal. What the hell kind of deal you got? A t shirt deal. I'm like, what a super zero. Got my name on the back with a zero. I'm like, I like that ain't nobody. I'm like, stop playing with me. I'm going shoot that girl's dreams down. I'm like, you dirty. I'm like, you get you some Chipotle with that. All right, don't worry about that. I'm like, but they, but they want to do right. They just don't know how to do right. And the school not gonna cut you all the way in because you cutting into the. I go back to Ohio State. Ohio State ain't cutting them people in with that money because oh. they use that money to foster their own thing. And I want to throw this right in because I know we we got a little bit of time. I, right? Would you would you just say it? So you you're a lawyer, right? So if I, if I was doing an NIL deal, name, image, likeness, you know, everyone signs up to be a Nike school, Adidas school, Under Armour school. Is there anything prohibited in Adidas from saying, well, you know what? You are a Nike school, but I want an NIL deal with the quarterback and he gonna wear Adidas. Yes, that is one of the rules. <laughs> That's one of the few rules that they do have is that you can't have a can't competing interest. That's Branson. You can't, can't have a competing interest <laughs> with the school. Right. That is correct. So that that is ironic to me. You don't really own your name, image, and likeness, because that in that case, I, I didn't sign up to be a Nike school. I, I never said that I wanted but to wear Nike. you signed to play at that school. Right. See, so yeah. you signed, so you yeah. still signed to play at the school. Indirectly. So there, there's levels to it, right? You, you couldn't so, do it. So, Shannon, yeah, before, before we go here, I, I want to say this, right, because I think you're, you're going to write the right angle here. It's just like when I'm coming out of Ohio State in 86, right, I knew who the firms were that were representing players for, for professional contract negotiations. You knew where to kind of go. Mm -hmm. There's nobody there for this NIL. There are very few people. That, these kids don't know where to go. So they're susceptible to any and everybody coming their way, right? And anybody pitching an idea because you're thinking, like, I got this little money. And I, I don't want to say it's little money, but in the scheme of things, it it's is. little money. It's yeah. nothing, right? And so the more firms that are out there, like Shannon's, that are saying, hey, let me show you what this is about, because it's about educating the kid and the parent. Right, so they know what expectations look like. The more that you continue to do that, Shannon, I think it's better off because you got a whole bunch of kids out here getting swindled and coming up short, giving away something of value and getting very little value mm -hmm. back in return. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and that's the goal. You know, one of the things, you know, if I could one point of self promotion here, so I did just write a book that you know we reached bestseller status on last week it's called uh, chief executive athlete how to run your sports career like a fortune 500 company and the audience can find it on amazon or, or barnes and nobles you can download it on kindle or buy the hard copy but brad we talk about i talk about in the book a lot of these concepts and just basic business concepts that those families can use to try to navigate this space until they can get to someone like myself or someone else who can really help guide them through this process but we talk about a little bit of the contract stuff branding and just you know how to conduct yourself like a chief executive versus just running up and down the field of the court you know and not taking ownership of your of your brand and your career shannon thank you so much uh we appreciate you taking your time today to come on and talk to us about it this is a definitely a topic that is uh you know is, is permeating the industry and we thank you for shedding light on it we'll talk to you again soon hey man thanks for having me guys all right shannon, thanks Shannon Holmes. All right, guys. But you know, we, we don't talk about it a lot. Just, um, I mean, I, people want to know, right? People want to know about that, right? Because you hear the term all the time. And you don't really understand what it really means. And then you think about the athlete. Student athlete doesn't understand what it means. Not really. Yeah. They understand some of it, right? 
the whole shift, I was talking to an executive a few months ago who said college is the new pros and high school is the new college. Yeah. Like there's a whole trickle down to this that we haven't even scratched the surface on in terms of NIL and how it's impacting kids at the high school level. And I'm telling you, I really think we are not, what, what it looks like today, we're not gonna recognize it five years, even five years from now, which really isn't that far away. There is a dramatic groundswell happening here with high school sports and college and this whole thing. I don't know where it's going, but we are in evolving times right now with all this stuff. True indeed.